Bye. Bye. <laughs> it's just adorable every week, isn't it? <laughs> Until they get out there and start crying. That's great. That's all right. All right. <laughs> My mom is not going to be back there. <laughs> uh, should just be a good encouragement to you and your teaching ability. That's it. So. Uh, Mark chapter 4, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. There's not much better for a pastor. You would think that the the favorite thing for a pastor would be every time you stand up to preach that you see people's Bibles open and you you see them rustling the pages, but that's usually because you can't find Habakkuk or something. Um, um, There's not much better for a pastor than hearing uh, the people in the church like trying to bust the roof off of the place when they're singing. And uh, so there are moments when you're standing up here and you're engaging with the Lord by His Spirit and worshiping in spirit and in truth, and you know you're not alone in doing that. And it is appropriate that those things should move our emotions. Emotions shouldn't drive worship. It should be the passenger in the car of worship. But if your emotions weren't engaged by just singing together today, to the Lord. Man, you missed it. You missed it. And so I just praise the Lord for that opportunity that we just had. So Mark chapter 4, as we look at the kingdom and we look at miracles, thank you, Thomas, last week for um, showing us that God has Jesus and bringing the kingdom to earth has power and dominion over nature, which also means that if he has power to bring peace to the storm, he has power to bring peace into your lives. That... uh, Jesus, in doing these miracles, even in the calming of the storm, is displaying that his kingdom has come and he's reversing all of the curse of sin and death. We've, we've been looking through the Gospel of Mark at these miracles and we've so far seen that when Jesus is doing these miracles, it's as if he's not just planting seeds of the Gospel kingdom, but he's causing trees to, to sprout up. He's causing plants to sprout up. Sprout up. He's causing the kingdom to grow here on earth so he brings his kingdom in mark one he says the kingdom is at hand when he comes onto the scene he says the kingdom is at hand and from that point on through his words and through his actions he is bringing the kingdom to bear on this earth and so we've looked at different miracles that he's done when he would proclaim the word people's lives would be changed so he showed he shows the authority in his kingdom of his word he's shown so far his authority Jesus' dominion over other kingdoms as he's cast out evil spirits. He's demonstrated the authority that he has in his kingdom to do what only God can do. He's healed the leper. He's forgiven sins. He has the authority to reverse the curse where not only does he take the leper and heal him, but he brings him back and he restores him into fellowship with other people. He deals with sin and its consequences. He has the authority to make all things new. He can look the spiritual elite who are holding power over everybody who have missed what the law of God is meant to do, and that's to bring life. It was meant to bring relationship with God and instead is kept people away from a relationship with God. And Jesus has come to make a new relationship with God so that we can have life in Him. Jesus has demonstrated His authority in a lot of ways. And here in Mark chapter 4, just before He calms the storm, He taught through some parables. And as He does this, it's not by accident. These parables are right in between Jesus calming the storm right after. But right before, He's 
He's dealt with the Pharisees and the religious elite. He's dealt with the people who seem to be in power. And he's dealt with them, and they have come after him hard. He's had five run-ins with them, and in each moment he has taught and shown through his power, through miracles, that he is the king and they are not. And then he comes to a time where he's going to sit down and he's going to, with the people around him, display what the kingdom is like. He's going to display it through his words. Remember that Jesus' primary ministry was not a ministry of miracles. It was a ministry of the word. The miracles were consistently backing up what he was saying. He would say it and he would show it was true. He would say, your sins are forgiven. And he says, so that you would know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. Get up and walk. So he wants to back up his words with his actions. And here his words hold life for us. So here's the here's simple way of putting it. You can have miracles of God through Jesus and still miss Jesus. You can have miracles that give you life for a moment and still miss life in Jesus. So here's a simple way of asking it. Which is better? A miracle or Jesus? It should be a simple question for us, right? Which one brings us more joy or should? A miracle or Jesus? You can have Jesus in all of his miracles. He, he did miracle after miracle after miracle. And people kept coming and saying, give us another miracle. Give us another miracle. Give us another miracle. And they missed Jesus. And today in his words, I don't want you to miss Jesus. I don't want you to miss the kingdom that he's bringing. So Jesus has said the kingdom is at hand. He's come onto the scene and he's worked works of power. He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The religious elite are after him. They're rejecting him. They're threatening him. And so the question for us today as we read these parables is kind of a really important question for, for not only the original readers of Mark, for, but for us today, and that's this. If all of this is true, if the kingdom has come, if the kingdom is supposed to be glorious, then how come things haven't changed? <laughs> right? I mean, cities are burning just in Mark's day, as he's writing this, people are being burned at the stake and being burned alive on crosses. They're being thrown to the lions. How can it be that if Jesus is king and the kingdom has come, that the Romans still had power in that day? How can it be that if Jesus has come and in him the kingdom has come, how could it be that nothing seems to have changed? We still go to work. We still have our frustrations. We still sometimes don't have enough money for what we need. We still, right? How can it be that we still deal with sickness? We still deal with death. We still deal with all of this truth. How can it be that injustice still seems to rule the day if the kingdom has come and is coming and it's as glorious as Jesus says it is? How can it be that Jesus is king and he has come and all of this still seems to be the case? The disciples had been told that the kingdom has come in Jesus. They're coming to terms with the fact that Jesus is the king and yet the Romans are still in power and the religious elite are out to kill Jesus. How can it be that this is the kingdom? How can it be that today, with work, family struggles, frustrations, mistreatment, injustice, just the neighbor that's a jerk, right? How can it be 
that the kingdom has come in Jesus. Where is the hope in all of this? I mean, let's just be honest. Not only for the readers of Mark, but for us today, those first readers who are dealing with persecution, but for us today, doesn't it seem that even sometimes when you come to follow Christ and you see Christ as king and you start following him, that things don't get better? They seem to get harder? I mean, anybody else experience that? Because when you come to Jesus, then all of a sudden you're marginalized, you're the weirdo, you're the person who actually believes that stuff. You're rejected. The culture doesn't want anything to do with you anymore. Where you once fit in, you no longer fit in. It's actually gotten harder. How can it be that the kingdom has come and Jesus is this great and glorious king and this kingdom is a great and glorious kingdom? Where's the hope in all of that? Where's the hope when cities are burning and the world is going to hell? Where's the hope of the kingdom? So Jesus, because he's not me, because if I were in Jesus' position, I would have said, let me think of the biggest miracle I could do to prove to everybody the kingdom has come. Jesus tells stories. That just means he's a much better storyteller than the rest of us. But he tells stories and he tells parables that are really hard to understand. In fact, you have to be given ears from God to understand what you're listening to. He actually says if, if you have ears... If you have the ears to hear, then listen. He says that some haven't even been granted the ability to understand these things. I'm not even going to talk about the four soils. I'll just mention it in passing. He, he starts with four soils. And, and basically he says you can sow the seeds out there and sometimes they're going to sprout up and look really good and then die because things get hard. Sometimes they're going to sprout up and then the worries of life are going to come along and choke them off. Sometimes... They're going to grow and produce 30 and 60, 100 fold. Sometimes they're just never even going to grow at all. What do you do with that? How's that hope? The hope is the 30 fold, the 60 fold, 100 fold that's found in the seed. Then he goes on to three other, um, three other parables to help us understand what this kingdom is like. Every time he tells a parable, he's showing us an image of what the kingdom is like. So he's showing us through his miracles what the kingdom is like, and now he's going to show us the real miracle. And that is that the kingdom has truly come. It is no accident that these parables come just after a series of miracles and encounters with the religious elite that have left Jesus rejected, isolated, that they have attacked his ministry, his character. They have even threatened him and they're wanting to kill him. If he's the king of a glorious kingdom, how can this be? So let's look at these parables because I think in these parables we're going to see seeds of the kingdom that are going to give us hope today. Because if you're anything like me living in the world we live in, I'm wondering how it could be that this group of people can make a difference. That any single action that I would do in the kingdom could make any sort of eternal difference. They can make any sort of difference at all. They can make any dent in what's going on. How can it be that the kingdom has come and how can we be a part of it? So let's look at the passage in verse 21. It says this. He said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We're going to come back to that one at the end. Into this last part. He said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. 
For to the one who has, more will be given. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And these seed parables, and I want us to spend the majority of our time on the two seed parables at the end here. Jesus is displaying the nature of the kingdom. He even says it explicitly. This is what the kingdom is like. Verse 26, the kingdom of God is as if. And then he comes back to verse 30 with what can we compare the kingdom of God? He wants us to understand the kingdom. These aren't just nifty little stories that we can apply to every aspect of our life. This is overarching stuff. This is what the kingdom of God is like. And if we miss this, we're going to miss why he does miracles. We're going to miss why he works in power in our lives. We're going to miss Jesus in the midst of all of this if we miss what he's saying here. He's already told us that if you were to sow seeds that some are going to reject it, some are going to reject it when it gets hard, some are going to sprout up and seem like they're living, but they're going to get choked off by this world. Some are going to be truly part of the kingdom, that their fruit is going to be great. He's already painting a picture that in the seed, there's something that can be great. In the seed, there's something that's going to bear fruit. And then he goes on to expound on that just a little bit. And there are three things I think he wants us to see, at least three. As I said in first service, I can only see three. Jesus probably had a lot more than that. Okay, Jesus, the depth of what Jesus is teaching us here is of the kingdom. There's no depth that you can't you can dive past. Okay, when it comes to this, but I see three simple realities in this passage that I want you to see in these in these parables. The first is this: the kingdom is hidden in a small seed. Doesn't get much simpler than that, does it? The kingdom is hidden in a small seed. This is by God's design. God could have brought the kingdom to earth in any way he wanted. He could have written it across the sky. He could have written it in lightning. He could have changed the atmosphere and just all of a sudden booming voice that every person on earth hears, the kingdom has come. He could have chosen to do that. He could have waited until the year 2000 when it would have been a lot easier to get word from one end of the world to the other. Right? But he chose... He chose one God-man on one sliver of land in the middle of nowhere to live an isolated life that basically ran the course of about three cities. That's Jesus' life. Jesus spent time in the desert, the wilderness, and about three cities, right? And the towns that are around those cities. That's Jesus' life died on a cross outside of Jerusalem, basically alone and isolated from the rest of the world. Didn't even have a home to call his own. This was God's design. God could have done this any way he wanted, but he chose a small seed in a small place. Why? What was he up to? What's he doing? Is it just God's really bad at planning? Right? 
Because if you and I had a strategy session on how we're going to get the kingdom to spread to the whole earth, we probably wouldn't choose the middle of nowhere in the Middle East. Right? I mean, surely you'd find some place that would be a little bit better than where they... He was born in a stable. Bad planning, God. Right? The first people that heard about it were shepherds that no one would listen to. How is this good planning on God's part? But this is God's plan. God's plan is that it would start small and that He would do something miraculous with it. And at the center of this miracle is a secret. The Theologians call it the Messianic secret, the secret of the Messiah. You ever wondered why Jesus... Especially here in the book of Mark, he'll heal somebody and he'll say something like, now, don't go tell anybody. I mean, once again, it just flies in the face of everything we're told we're supposed to do. God does something great in your life. What should you go do? Tell someone, right? Jesus looks at the guy and goes, don't go tell anybody. What's he up to? First of all, he's in the middle of nowhere talking to a bunch of nobodies And then he tells him not to tell anybody, but he wants the kingdom to spread. How is this working? This is the sovereign hand of God because there's no other explanation for it. What was Jesus up to in this secret, the secret of the Messiah? What he's up to is very simple if we really think about it. Jesus was doing miracles. He was healing people, but he didn't want people to trust in miracles. He wanted them to trust in the king. He wanted them to trust him. If you look at the book of Mark and the way it kind of unfolds, you'll notice that in the first half of the book of Mark, it's miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And Jesus is constantly keeping this secret. It comes to the middle of the book. There's this there's this moment, this seminal moment at the middle of the book where Jesus says, and who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he looks at everybody and says, and if you're going to follow after me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. And from that point on till the end of the book, guess how many miracles there are? One. Did Jesus just stop doing miracles? (laughs) No, everything from that point on is going to point to the greatest miracle. Where he would take the sins of mankind onto himself. And he would die once for all and he would rise again, paying for sin, delivering us from death. You see, right there in the middle with his disciples, he says, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. Right there in the middle, his ministry became about the cross, not just about the miracles. And it wasn't until people could understand that the kingdom is about the cross that they could go and proclaim the kingdom. Tim Chester puts it this way. Jesus will not allow people to proclaim him as king and Christ and savior until they understand that he is the king who has come to serve his people. He is the Christ who is forsaken. He is the savior who saves by dying. There can be no proclamation of Jesus as king without the cross. Jesus forbids evangelism that focuses on healings and power and victory without the cross. So we look at people and say, don't tell anybody. Because his biggest sermon he was going to preach was going to be hanging on a cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. It is finished. And they needed to know that this king would be rejected 
So God's plan is one God-man in one small place who will die. Not my plan. God's plan. And we have hints of what this will look like in John chapter 12. You should flip over there because it's really important. John chapter 12, verses 23 through 26. You should underline this, highlight this, circle this, star this, and realize that this is the call on your life and on my life because we have a kingdom in a small seed that is going to be glorious one day. John chapter 12, verses 23 through 26 says this. Jesus answered them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The kingdom necessitates death. Growth comes from the seed dying. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Look, look at what happens here when the kingdom takes root. It's really uh, an amazing thing. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. Right? If you lose your life, you're going to gain life. If you serve him, you're going to be honored. I mean, th- this is what Jesus does, is he takes everything that we know about life and flips it on its head. And he says the kingdom now has redefined all of life. And it all starts in a small seed that has to die. The kingdom is hidden in a small seed. It's God's plan. The kingdom has a secret. And the secret is this. The seed has to die, but in order to die, guess what has to happen to the seed? It has to be sown. (laughs) You have to actually toss it out there. You actually have to throw it on the ground. I was in the garage yesterday working on the washing machine. I can do that. Uh, And... uh, and I was like, oh, let me move this box over here. And I, I reached up and I said, what's in this box? And I reached in. And it was, it was packets of seeds. Probably been there for four years. Here's the amazing thing. Those packets of seeds that had been sitting there for four years, you know what had not happened? No tomatoes had grown. It was shocking. They were in the packet, in a box, Perfectly good seeds, and no tomatoes had grown. Why? They were never sown. (laughs) Do you want to see the kingdom come? Here's what Jesus is saying. The seed of the kingdom needs to be sown. It needs to be sown. This seed must be sown. John Stott said this way, His authority on earth, Jesus' authority on earth, allows us to dare to go to all the nations with the gospel. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope of success, and His presence with us leaves us no other choice. Because He is with us and He has commanded us, we have to go. We have to sow seeds. It does no good for us to keep the seeds of the kingdom in the packet. It does no good for them to be in your pocket. It does no good for them to be in your hand. They have to be sown. 
Seeds are meant to be sown, and the seeds of the kingdom need to be sown by the people of God. So the first truth is the kingdom is hidden in a small seed and a seed that needs to be sown. The second truth is this. The kingdom grows by God's hand. Look back at the passage of Scripture. Uh, This is one of my favorite images um, as Jesus is talking about this man scattering the seed. Verse 26. The kingdom of God is this of a man scattered seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. I love that. Right? It's just a great phrase. He knows not how. This is a farmer, and he has no idea what's going on in his field. Okay? He's like, I'm going to walk out here, I'm going to throw the seed out there, and I'm going to go to sleep. And I'm going to get up tomorrow, and I'm going to tend the fields, I'm going to water. Well, I have no idea how this stuff keeps growing. You see, we're really good at strategizing growth. The problem is this passage seems to tell us that growth only happens by the sovereign hand of God. That our job is to sow seeds. That God's job is to bring the growth. The kingdom grows by God's hand. Look at what it says. What is the job of the sower? He sows and then he goes to sleep. (laughs) And as he sleeps, God brings the increase. He does get up in the morning and he tends and he does his job. And he goes along life with life. He, he deals with his family. He's going to deal with his job. He's going to deal with the people around him. He's going to deal with everyday life. And yet God is going to bring the increase. And God is going to bring the fruit. The kingdom grows by God's hand. So we as God's people have to be sowers. So here's what I would say. It does no good to sleep, watch, and pray if you've never sown. Had the farmer simply gone in and gone to sleep, would anything have grown in his fields? (laughs) No. His first job was to sow. We're really good at watching, praying, and waiting. But have we even sown the seed? Have we even sown the seed? We prayed for our friends and family earlier today, and we should pray that God would save them. I ask you, have you sown a seed of the gospel in their life? Something you can pray in faith over. Something you can watch God grow. Sowing the seeds. It's a mystery how God does this. It's meant to be a mystery because it's God doing it. We can't strategize it. We can't make it happen. God does it to the point that the farmer says he does not know how it happens. We also see that it's a process. Look at verse 28. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. We're going to see a process as people grow. And that process is seemingly unremarkable a lot of times. The only remarkable thing about the process is this. It happens. That's the remarkable thing about the process is that all you did was throw some seeds on the ground and they died and God brought increase that is a miracle that is a miracle of god the kingdom is hidden in a small seed the kingdom grows by god's hand and thirdly the kingdom has a future glory look back at the passage our job is to sow god's job is to grow but look at what the guy does verse 29 When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. His job after sowing the seeds is to go to sleep, tend, and prepare for the harvest. So he has the sickle at the ready so that when God brings that 
harvest to fruition, he's ready to gather it in. There's another picture here of how glorious this is going to be. Not only is it going to be a harvest and there's going to be a gathering and a judging in the kingdom that one day we're going to stand before God in all of his glory and there's going to be a judgment, but there's also going to be great glory given to those who are of faith in him. We also see in the in the last verses here with this mustard seed turning into the big bush that the kingdom and its future glory is going to be huge. It's going to be bigger than any other plant in the garden. No matter what else you can sow in the garden of your life, the kingdom is going to be bigger. Whatever whatever plants grow in the kingdom of this world, whatever, whatever peoples are planting seeds to grow in the rest of this world, the kingdom will be bigger. And the kingdom will be so glorious that, and so huge that it's going to become a place of rest for creation. That the birds are going to come and make their nests there. I want to make sure you understand this. We're the birds. We get to come and find our rest in the kingdom. But it doesn't happen when it's just a seed. It happens in the future glory of the kingdom. We have a job to do right now. Sow the seeds. We have to be seed sowers. We long for the kingdom. We wait for the kingdom to come. And we realize we're part of the kingdom now. And our part in the kingdom is to sow the seeds. The seeds of the kingdom. There is going to be a harvest. It's going to be huge. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be glorious. It's going to find a place of rest and belonging for all who believe in Jesus. But are we being faithful with what we've been tasked to do right now? Or are we just sitting around waiting for a harvest that we're going to have no part in because we've never sown any seeds? You go back to the rest of the passage. Go back up to the top, verses 21, and I'll close with this. This is what Jesus says. And the other two parables are meant to unpack this. And I want to make sure you see this. He said to them, verse 21, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. He says even even his secret is meant to be made known. Okay. Nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. If you have ears to hear today, hear this. That if, according to these verses, you misuse the kingdom, and here's Jesus' definition of misusing the kingdom, not sowing seeds. If you've been given the seeds of the kingdom and you don't sow them, trusting that there's going to be a future glory and a great harvest, if you don't do that, you misuse the kingdom. He says, pay attention to what you hear. Verse 24, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus seems to be warning us and warning the people who are hearing him that if we misuse the kingdom, it may not, we may not be a part of the kingdom. I want to make sure we understand this. And so I'll put it as simply as I can. Do you believe, do you believe that the kingdom is found in a seed that needs to be sown? 
Yes. Okay. Do you believe that that kingdom will one day be glorious? Jesus seems to be saying here that if you do not sow the seeds, you either, either think the seed is too small and can do no good, or the kingdom won't be glorious. It seems to be what he's saying is that you either believe the seed is too small and can't do any good, or the kingdom won't be that glorious in the end. That'd be the only reason he can give that you aren't sowing the seeds. So I ask you again, do you believe that the seed of the kingdom is a small seed that needs to be sown? Yes. Do you believe that the kingdom will be glorious? Do you believe, and this is hard, then that not sowing the seeds is sin? Easier said than done, though, right? Easier said than done. Tim Chester says, just because the kingdom has not come in glory and judgment does not mean that it has not come. And just because it has come in secret does not mean that one day it will not come in glory. (laughs) Understand that though things may look as if the kingdom is not at hand, the kingdom is at hand. And that should color everything we do. But if you're here today and you say, look, the reason I don't sow the seeds is because I... Just don't believe that my little part can make a difference. You need to then stop focusing on your little part and start focusing on the future glory of the kingdom. If you say, well, I'm just ready to get to heaven. You need to understand that today you have seeds in your pocket that need to be sown. So we can find ourselves on opposite ends of the spectrum here and make the same mistake. Not sowing the seeds. William Carey, who's the father of the modern missionary movement in India um, spent seven years in India without seeing a single convert seven years without seeing a single convert and you would think that would leave him distraught you think that would leave him in complete anguish and yes he wanted to see converts but this is what he said in the midst of all of that the future is as bright as the promise of God why sow seeds Because the gospel is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Do you believe that? Why sow the seeds? Because the kingdom is at hand and the kingdom is glorious. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. People can either do that now or when they don't have a choice. Sow the seeds. I've given you one way you can do that. In your bulletin. And if yours fell out, they're probably scattered along the floor somewhere. In your bulletin, there's a little card. That little card is very simple. On one side, it says you're invited and has information on our church. On the other side, it has service times. And it has a website. And that website will lead people to getting video answers to some of life's most difficult questions that they may deal with. So if they're struggling with issues of faith, what about the Bible, what about death, all of these things, you you can send them there. Take that card. Everybody pull out that card. If you don't have a card, there's one in the back. Pull out the card, hold it up. I want you to see this card. As silly as this may seem, okay, that's a seed. 
Go sow it. You go out to eat today? Don't leave it as the tip. If you're going to leave it as part of the tip, leave a really good tip. Okay? But get into a conversation with your waiter or waitress. Or when you go get groceries this week, the guy who's scanning your items, just get into a conversation with them. Where do you go to church? Oh, you don't go to church? I'd love for you to come visit with me on this Sunday. I usually go to the 11 o'clock service. If you can't make it, check out the website. There's some really great information. That's simple. Not even asking you to go have like a half-hour conversation with somebody, even though that would be even better. You have a seed. Go sow it. And sow it trusting that the kingdom that is in that seed is glorious. Do not fall into the same trap as the people who were following after Jesus. In those days, they were following after him, seeing what miracle he would do next. And they got their miracles, but most of them missed Jesus. You want the miracles? Make sure you get Jesus. The miracles come with him. The miracles come with him. Abiding in him, trusting him, following him, obeying him, and sowing the seeds of the kingdom on earth. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today we would be people who would sow these seeds, we would sow them faithfully, and that you would bring the increase, and you would bring fruit, and you would do something glorious. Lord, we ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close today, we're going to sing a couple of verses of uh, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. As we do that, the front is open. I'd love for you to come up and pray if the Lord's leading you to sow in different ways. But let's pray about how we can fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's sing to him and glory in him. And then let's go proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. Let's all stand together.